Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. This show is with Maurizio from Ledin. You may or may not have heard of Ledin before, but you're probably aware of different companies that are offering loans against Bitcoin as collateral, which seems to be a space which is growing rather rapidly and one that a lot of the plebs are showing interest in. So this is a great intro into this world of how you might be able to use your Bitcoin as, uh, as collateral to get a loan to buy that car or house or whatever it is that uh, you're looking to get in the fiat world. Please make sure you do your own research. Maurizio and I go down lots of rabbit holes here and he does a brilliant job of explaining what led are all about and how they can help you but i want to make it clear you really are holding on to a pristine asset so before you loan it out to anybody make sure you do your own research and find out whether or not it's definitely something that suits you or whether just hodling is the way to go and keeping up with your stacking and dca service that said this is a brilliant episode with maurizio i really appreciate him taking the time out we went way over time because he is so passionate about this, as you will hear in his voice. I hope you enjoy the show. Before we get to it, let's make sure I give a shout out to the show's sponsors, coinfloor.co.uk, Bitcoin-only exchange, relay.ch, Bitcoin-only DCA service across Europe, swanbitcoin.com, Bitcoin-only company in uh, the US across the pond, helping you DCA, and shiftcrypto.ch, Use forward slash bitten for all of these. Shift Crypto will give you a hardware wallet, Bitbox 02, Bitcoin only edition. Take control of your keys. Enjoy this one with Maurizio. All right, okay. As you heard, Maurizio, we are now recording. So great to, uh, great to see you. Great to meet you. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me on. So, I mean, Lauren is usually here to ask the first question, as many of the listeners know. But today she's got a play date going on. So uh, she's very busy. Uh, off playing with one of her friends. So uh, you, you've you escaped the toughest inter- interviewer in the space. <clears throat> but I, I imagine her question would have gone something along the lines of, what is a loan? What is a loan? Um, a loan is, uh, you know, my interpretation of a loan is uh, obtaining uh, value, whether that is uh, via fiat or via an, uh, uh, an asset or something that you get utility out of, uh, with the understanding that you, you have to return that asset at a point in the future. That would, that would be what I consider a loan. Right, perfect. And then she would have gone a little bit cross-eyed and looked at me for a bit of help. <laughs> that's, that's what we're going to get into, because this is what Ledin is all about, um, as I believe. And uh, this is obviously uh, a big talking point at the moment within the Bitcoin community of how do I utilize my Bitcoin as collateral to borrow against it rather than sell it if I need fiat. 
to to buy an experience, a wedding, a car, or you know something like a house um, are classic big life purchases that that people might be looking to do. So we'll get into that. But before before we do, let's know a little bit more about yourself, Maurizio. Where did you um, where did you grow up, man? Where where where, where were you in the world? Uh, so I'm from, uh, I was born and raised in a small town that probably I would say 99% of people listening to this have never heard of. And it's called Barquisimeto and that's in Venezuela. And that is dead in the center of the country. So if you, if you drew a map of Venezuela and you threw a dart and you hit the bullseye, that's very close to where I grew up. <laughs> um, and it's not a circle by any means, <laughs> the map itself, but it's, it's, you would figure out exactly where the kind of the middle lands. And that's pretty much where the, where my city is. Um, Barquisimeto is the, or was, uh, the whole country has kind of uh, disintegrated, but uh, when I was growing up there, Barquisimeto was the fourth biggest city. And because it's so centric, it was the distribution hub for a lot of food and industrial, uh, just uh, shipping and logistics. And so that was, um, that's where I grew up. Uh, I grew up in a, in a Venezuela that was um, certainly not problem free. Uh, at the time, that that was uh, looking back in hindsight, it was pretty clear what kind of led to Chavez, the Chavez movement, kind of becoming what it became. Um, and, and the problem is, it just it went off the rails for a due to a series of unfortunate coincidences, I would say. Uh, one of them being, you know, the, the his timing around his entering into uh, rising to popularity, uh, lining up miraculously with the oil bull market cycle and uh, those two things kind of throwing society's feedback loop uh, just completely out the window because he was out doing uh, absolutely terrible things for the long-term, uh, you know, for the long-term future of the country. But at the same time, the, economies, the economy was booming as he did these things because prices were just rallying. And so everybody's feedback loop just went out the window. Uh, and then the, 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 we, you, the, life, the economy itself started uh, rewarding all the wrong behaviors. So like the closer you were to the president, the more money you were, uh, the less work you did physically in Venezuela, the more, the more money you made. Uh, it was actually cheaper to import than to build. Uh, so it's just the whole thing got poisoned with, with misincentives and uh, it led to where it is now. But sorry, I, I started a very positive question with a ne very negative Nancy uh, <laughs> a turn for, for Venezuela, but that's where I grew up. I came to Canada when I was 17. Uh, but before that, I spent a couple of years in the States, actually, uh, in, in Florida. Right. Okay. So you, you, weren't, uh, you, you hadn't started your career uh, in, in Venezuela. You'd already managed to get out. So yeah, so I guess to, to, to give you the summary, uh, I was in Venezuela until I was uh, 15 years old. Uh, I was in Miami kind of 15 to 17. Then I did one more year in Venezuela. That was the year when I decided, like I just, I did, I wanted to do my university abroad and then I came to Canada to, to start my university. Uh, and that's where I had the pleasure and the privilege of meeting Adam, who's my uh, co-founder today at Ledin. And uh, actually quite a bit of uh, the team at Ledin is from that school, or, or we met during our time at the school. Like we were all very, very close, uh, which actually a lot of people may not know that about Ledin, uh, but, but a lot of us actually know each other from way, way back. Uh, and, and so it's a, it's a real treat to, to you know, come to the virtual office every morning uh, to, to, to build this with your friends. And uh, Alessandro as well is is uh, part of the team, right? 
Yeah, he is. Uh, Alessandro is a, a compatriot, fellow Venezuelan. Um, and, uh, you know, we connected, I want to say a few years back when he, his, his, his tweet went viral about him building a node with his DirecTV uh, satellite. And I was actually, you know, every time, uh, one of the, one of the things that I'm so inspired about in Venezuela is that regardless of how bad things get, there's always one person or someone down there that is able to turn a terrible circumstance into something cool and a in a in an interesting opportunity to, to to repurpose something or to try something new. Uh, when I saw what he did with his drone, uh, or not his drone, sorry, his his uh, his node, I was I was so impressed, uh, and I was like, wow, like this this guy is, is he he definitely is a smart kid. He he is creative, and so I connected with him, and we we became friends. And as Lenin grew, and we had to hire more people. Uh, we, I, I went back to the people that I, I thought were very smart, very creative, uh, and had a had a spirit and loved Bitcoin uh, because that's the thing that like you could tell the guy just loved Bitcoin and uh, and it had helped him. And so when I saw his passion, I, I I I also consider myself a somewhat passionate guy. So when I saw him and I was like, man, I I, I see a lot of potential in him. So uh, when when we when we got chatting and I offered or we we chatted about the opportunity to join Leonard, he was ecstatic. And uh, and it's a pleasure to work with him because now actually he's my one of my right hand mans. Uh, he works very closely with me in the marketing team, and um, it's been a, it's been a beauty to. Um, there's something really cool about being able to. Uh, and, and listen, first off, I want to say I wish I could be doing this and helping more people in Venezuela, and I wish I could have you know this opportunity could have presented itself in Venezuela, but the reality is it it doesn't, and uh, the the. the the, the fact that we were able to essentially step out from that, come somewhere else to build a product that helps people down there again uh, is something that is very unique, uh, I think. And, and uh, I, I feel very, very lucky to, to be able to build products that I could still, that we could still feel like we're helping, right? Like we could still be actually doing something that is positive uh, for people down there. Like one of the most beautiful things about this business has been Whenever I've, we, we get these, you know, increasingly more often, but like the first time we got it and I, every time I get it, it still makes the same issue, but I have guys, people from Venezuela, please like Venezuela, Colombia, Mexico, they write to us and they say, you guys are the first loan I've ever been approved for. Uh, so I just wanted to thank you. And uh, for us, that's like, and they're, they're like $500 loans, $1,000 loans. They're not, they're not like, you know, institutional loans, but, but you know how much it means to them. And so uh, it, it, it's just very cool uh, to be able to do that. And, and listen, we love institutions. Like we love corporations also. Like they help us grow and serve those countries. But, but, but that ability to know that you can relate so much to what those people are going through uh, because you know the inflation they're going through. You know how hard it is. I mean, things have changed since we left, but some of it's still very similar. Uh, and, and, and knowing that you're somehow playing a part of that. And, and actually we, we get these often, like I get messages from other fellow Venezuelan compatriots that are like, it's so cool to see someone from Venezuela do something that, that, you know, can come back and I can feel proud of using. And, and I, I get goosebumps, you know, like, uh, every time that happens. So, uh, it's a treat. It's, it's really a treat. Yeah, it's very cool, mate. Very cool. And I've had Alessandro on the podcast before as well. Uh, so if anybody wants to go back and listen, it's uh, El Sultan Bitcoin. And uh, he, he was working on his own passion project, which hopefully he'll be able to get back up and running at, uh, at some stage with the, uh, the Pandora node. Um, but so 
You're, you're in Canada right now, yeah? I am, yep. How's the lay of the land? Having, you know, seen what went down in Venezuela, are you feeling the same kind of vibes? What's going on in Canada? I know it's kind of um, different in each part of the country, but, uh, I, you know, yeah, give us give us the lowdown. It's a great question, man. Um, and it's a question that I, um, I, so I didn't think that I'd be finding myself discussing this so quickly. <laughs> uh, the, the sort of Venezuelanization of the Canadian dollar or the US dollar um, has just happened. When I experienced what, what we lived in Venezuela, I thought to myself, this is terrible. Like no one else should experience this. Like you know, we as a society cannot take ourselves to the point where this has to happen on a global scale. And I, I, I stepped out of that and with with COVID and like with the with the pandemic, this whole this whole Venezuela problem, what, what is becoming, I think, a little bit almost scary to me is that this isn't just Venezuela's fiat. This is everyone's fiat that it's is is going down this in this direction. And it can happen much faster than you think. 1999 or 1995 Venezuela, if you had asked anybody what the statistical chances are of getting a radical communist president that is going to tank the country in 20 years, most people would have said zero. And uh, when I see what's happening here, you know, the, the, the printing, the, so there, there's two sides of the coin, right? Because one side, you have to look at all the problems that the printing creates. Um, the other side is that you don't know what would have happened if you didn't have that stimulus, like what, what, how society would have reacted if you hadn't put that out in the streets, right? So, you know, what I saw happen in Venezuela was there was a, like I was, I was saying earlier, like as, as, Chavez, as things became, um, as Chavez came and started sort of uh, nationalizing the oil industry, nationalizing nationalizing farms, nationalizing all these things. Um, he, you know, the, what you would expect was for things to disappear from the shelf. So as he was, for example, nationalizing like chicken producers or beef producers, these producers would say, you, you, he was trying to fix prices. So what starts happening, sorry, so maybe I'll step back and begin. A lot of people, um, why I became so obsessed with, with money itself was because of growing up, I, I, I had a very, time understanding how the Venezuelan government was able to sustain itself. Uh, how does a country that collects no taxes has does absolutely nothing for the benefit of its own people and mismanages all of the internal resources beyond oil production? Like how do they keep the lights on? And that that you know you, you kind of peel layers and layers until you get to the fact that when they have a deficit they print it. And and if they get in coats with each other, they just print each other. Like the, the central bank will essentially become an extension of the of the executive branch, and they just print for whatever for political means. And when that starts happening, it starts poisoning the economic incentives in society. Like as I was telling telling you earlier, so like chicken producers were being told that they had to fix the prices of chicken, and they were saying we cannot fix the price of chicken because my feed comes from Brazil. And the, and the uh, uh, antibiotics I need come from the United States and they are all rising because of what you're doing. And what I have to do is raise the price of chicken. And a lot of people talk about asset price inflation and it's great, I love talking about asset price inflation, but what gets people mad is food inflation. 
because there's a huge side of society that has divorced themselves from the idea that they'll ever own assets. Like huge. Like we don't, we don't really identify with that, but there is a large, large group of people that have just come to terms with the fact that they will not be able to own a home. And they will, and so that's and, and typically speaking, and from my experience in Venezuela, the people who cause a revolution are the people who have nothing to lose. Because those are the people that go to the streets and they'll be like, shoot me, shoot me. I honestly don't care. Just like, I'm going to sit here until you change the law or you shoot me. And like when enough of those people get into one mindset, then they can make change happen. But what ends up happening is that becomes a big war because it becomes like your fear, firepower versus your willingness to, but, but anyway, going back, stepping aside from this, what I start seeing happening here is as you're printing more and more, you're starting to alienate a larger and larger chunk of the population because what's happening is home prices are through the roof, right? Like in all markets, like investor markets through the roof. There is a large portion of Canadians that are becoming, that are going through that, crossing that chasm, right? Of, I thought I was going to be able to buy an asset and now I realize I won't be able to buy an asset. And that creates resentment and that creates disillusion and that creates a person with nothing to lose. And as you build more and more of this army of people with nothing to lose, your society becomes almost like a bomb factory that's just missing that one spark of discontent to, to create this massive wave, right? And so the other thing that I've kind of learned is that when society does get into that mode, it typically does not make educated decisions. It makes very passionate decisions, like put that guy there because he's saying what I want. And so there, when printing money just kind of poisons your incentives of what value is, of what creates value and who should have value and, and, and wealth. And that's what worries me uh, a little bit about this runaway printing that, that we're seeing because right now people are focused on CPI or like, you know, let's not, let's, let's not try to get people upset. Let's try to keep price scoots down. Let's try to keep this transitory inflation narrative alive and like feed it to people, shove it down their throats so that they stay cool and calm down. I, I'm just, and I'm not suggesting that we're going to have a revolution here and or I'm not suggesting that we're going to have people go up in arms because the, the blessing that the United States and Canada has is that although we have issues here, the issues are bigger elsewhere. So it's always like a relative issue pot. And, and, and so more people come here, more wealth comes here. And so it kind of levels things out. But I, I am worried that we are making it really, really hard for people in, in, in maybe to, to break it down. Like one of the things I saw was the biggest problem in Venezuela was the absence of a middle class. And why that is important is because there's typically like there's stratus in society and, and all stratuses of society need to feel that whatever next stratus is, is within their reach and they can get there by doing honest work right the second that link breaks where you don't think you can get to the next stage by doing honest work your head stops thinking about honest work your head stops thinking about how the hell can i get up there whatever it takes me let me get up there and so what i see happening right now is the middle class is getting 
disintegrated. We're putting the middle class on a huge uphill battle. And once that goes away, it, 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 it becomes a very polarized society and it becomes a very uh, uh, unpredictable society on how things could react or, or any one given event. So I, I went on a rant. <laughs> no, it's great. It's because you've seen it happen. You've seen you have these you know, tangible lessons that you can, you know, draw knowledge from and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it, and throwing on top of that, all of this misinformation that we're getting as well around COVID and now this idea of mandatory injections and like, you know, you talk about destroying and disintegrating middle classes, you know, completely or washing them with fear misinformation and divisive um behavior you know it, it's it's shocking and we're seeing the same shit play out here in france it's unbelievable it, it it's sad and and you know there's part of me you know again being being trying to take the other side of the coin like listen i think if we hadn't, if we didn't have the ability to print stimulus during COVID, I think the world could be a darker place right now. Like, regardless, it's 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 not perfect right now. The printing created a world of issues, but not having done that, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and tell you the world would have been a better place if we hadn't printed stimulus checks. I I don't know if I agree with that. Actually, I think you know, I think there was a purpose, or there was a there is there has been value, and it's it's value that we won't ever get to know how what would have happened if if that wasn't the case but when it's just again putting going back to this idea of, of venezuela and what people do when they get put in corners and the people do whatever it takes like it, you you go to that place very quickly when you try to put yourself in that person's shoes and so that is what i mean when i say you know it's almost like a lesser of two evils and that gets me into a, a, a tangent of thinking that I that I, I can share here because I think it's an interesting talking point, which is I think the reason the fiat standard has coexisted for so long so well within human society is because of a couple of reasons. But the fundamental reason, I think, is the fact that humans are the economic forces at play in the wild are deflationary, typically. Like just there's, there's deflationary forces all over. If you look at prices of aluminum in gold terms, prices of any commodity in gold terms are all coming down. We become more efficient at building things. That is what economies of scale is, is knowing how to do something cheaper, faster, better over time. And every day you do it a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And so as you have this, you know, if you have already natural deflationary forces in nature, right? And you need to have this uh, ability to boost or fill holes to create wealth when you need to out of thin air, right? For like, for moments like COVID, moments like, I will, though I hate to say it, war and conflict and things like this. And, and then you get, what you, what you get is that you see that fiat solves two issues. One, it gives you the firepower to appease a revolution, to appease a, a potential shortfall or natural disaster, whatever that may be. And you divide the cost of fixing the natural disaster amongst everybody. Of course, 
who gets the grunt of it is people who don't have assets, but that's a separate topic. So that's one problem it solves. The second problem it solves is that because it, it, it basically compensates or pushes back on the, on the natural deflationary forces that are in nature, it keeps humans at a high, higher cadence of consumption, right? And this higher cadence of consumption helps us all do more innovation, right? Like build more things because you know there'll be a market, people are always trying to consume. So it, it kind of takes two carrots to incentivize a society. And my, my mental model, and, and that's the kind of mental model that I've built around this is why I think they have coexisted so well. And if you look at, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is the absolute answer because things change over time, but the, my, my read on it is, I don't think fiat dies. Um, if you look at like, you know, look at Venezuelan fiat, it's the hardest fiat to kill in humanity. Uh, it has been renamed, in my lifetime, it's been renamed three times. There has been 14 zeros removed from it and it's still there. People still use it. And why? Because the other guy that tells you to use it has a gun. And so eventually at some point you're like, well, you know, I'll just use it and I'll figure out a way of making my life, but I'll do whatever I'm told to do. And so uh, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just wanted to explain why I think the fiat system has coexisted so well and why I think Bitcoin is just a tool for smart people to advance their wealth and advance the future by just understanding it. Because it's a bit, and I hope this happens, but I don't know that the whole world's gonna wake up one day and understand money. It's taken many of us 30 years, 30 plus years to understand it and we still don't know it. <laughs> and so I think, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that in my lifetime, I'll be able to say to everybody, hey, you'll never have to trade out of Bitcoin. You'll be able to hold your Bitcoin and live forever. I don't know that I could be able to say that. But I don't, what I know I'll be able to say is if you do hold Bitcoin for the few years that we have left here, I bet you're probably going to be better off come third year than you would if you just did it. So that's why, you know, our products in a lot of ways are, are built to bridge these two worlds and to try to make the most of the two systems somehow coexisting. Was that the driving kind of uh, force behind what you were trying to achieve? I mean, that, that that's pretty, yeah, it's a good again a good insight like uh, having 14 zeros removed from your currency my god like what the hell but people still die so yeah i mean here we are we still live in a fiat world and i guess with what the, the product that you're trying to um offer people is uh, it gives people the opportunities to, to keep their stack to keep on stacking and um still live in the fiat world and operate in the fiat world um you know and, and buy those things that they need with with the fiat rather than selling out. So we should, yeah, well, let's get on to the service. What what is the idea behind behind Leaden? And and how did you come to the name? Ha, that, sure. So I'll I'll start with the idea. So you know what I was trying to accomplish or what we were trying to accomplish, the, the idea really came because I I was I started out mining. I started Bitcoin mining like many in Venezuela did. And, oh um, yeah, we hang on. Yeah, we haven't done that. We should like how yeah. did you find Bitcoin? What what was the Bitcoin yeah. rabbit hole? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have to give credit to my youngest brother for uh -huh. uh, throwing me down the rabbit hole. And um, the way it came up, and I'll give you like maybe a synthesized version of the story. But 
Uh, I was doing my university in, in Canada. So I was doing business school. I believe I had just graduated. Yeah, oh yeah, I had just graduated. I, I graduated business school. I, I, had done, I had finished my, uh, my master's program, my MBA. And so um, my uh, youngest brother, and now at this point I was out of Venezuela. This is, uh, I want to say, call it late 2013, early 2014 or so. And so I'm in Canada. Um, my, uh, my brother calls me with my dad. And so I guess to, to, to do a quick summary, I'm the oldest of three brothers. My dad's a very entrepreneurial guy. Every one of us, when we graduated, my dad wrote us a little seat check to like do our venture and kind of get us going. And so when I went, I did mine, didn't work. My first one, my brother went, his, his also didn't work or whatever. Then it was my youngest brother's turn. And this was like in the context of Venezuela, like falling apart, like, you know, Chavez had just died. Uh, like it, it, it was the, the whole thing was going off. Of, Chavez died and lost the election that was going to take us back to victory. So that's when when Chavez died, the guys just kind of took the election with their next their next guy, uh, even though they lost it democratically. But anyway, we won't get into that terrible setting in Venezuela to set up a business. My dad is like nervous because he wants to be fair, but he also doesn't want to throw the money out the door. So uh, I, he, my little brother had now been pitching for like a few months and, you know, all of his ideas were like, you know, he was starting to get a little bit like disheartened and stuff. And so my dad sends me his following pitch, his, his most recent pitch, which was this concept of buying uh, a few Bitcoin ASICs uh, to mine this thing called Bitcoin. And so my dad is like, I've never heard of this. Like these are somehow, you know, somewhat expensive computers. We don't really know them. They come from China. Like, can you, can you dig into this a bit and tell us what you think? And so I started that. And that was my first read of Bitcoin is like analyzing the purchase of some Bitmain ASICs for the purposes of, of, of earning Bitcoin. And so what that got me doing was saying, okay, well, what are miners? Like, first of all, what are these miners? Then what is Bitcoin? Oh, crap. This is a great thing they're protecting. Oh my God. I'm like, this thing can transfer value and, and it's global and it's uncensorable. And I'm just like, and what's the biggest input for this? Like energy prices? And those are subsidized in Venezuela? I'm like, hmm, I'm like, seems like a pretty exciting thing to try and like low risk. And like, I, I'm kind of into this thing, but I, I didn't, to be honest, after the white paper, I just said, do it. I think, it's, I think it's fairly low risk. I'd love to learn more about this, but I was busy with other stuff. And so off he goes, he buys, buys the machines, starts mining. And then I went back for Christmas because back then I was, still, I was still able to go back and, and visit. And I go back and the guy has like, this was like six months, seven months later, the guy has twice the machines and he is the only Venezuelan walking with a smile and a pep on his step. Like, he's just like, just the happiest camper. And every, all of my friends, when I went back, they're like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to be moving to Peru. I'm going to be moving to Chile. Everyone's thinking about leaving, selling their assets. My little brother, Mario is like the only guy, like looking for electricians to do more, <laughs> more installations. So I, I, um, I went to him and I said, uh, first, I went to my dad because at the beginning, I didn't. I thought there was some fishy, something fishy going on. Because so I was like, "How did these double in, you know, seven months? Like, it just the math wasn't adding up." So I will go to my dad, and my dad, you know, what did you do? He's like, "No man, he he paid me back the computers. These are brand new. Like he he bought them with his own money." And so then I went to my brother, and I'm like, "Okay, what are you actually doing? Like, tell me what you're really doing." And he's like, "I'm mining Bitcoin." <laughs> I'm like. I'm like, so how, like, can you show me? Like, can you sell these things into real money? Like, how, how does this work? And at the time, there was an exchange working in Venezuela called Sur Bitcoin. Now, 
people that work in that exchange were treated very unfairly and they had to close and relocate like as any entrepreneur trying to do something good for Venezuela. But at the time, it was wonderful. My brother sent uh, his Bitcoin transaction and within two hours, he had the money sitting in his Venezuelan bank account. And that, that was the moment when all the fireworks in my head and all the light bulbs just went off. And uh, at that point, I quit my job. I quit everything I was doing and I, I just started mining myself, helping other people how to mine, reading about mining. Uh, there wasn't a lot of Spanish content at the time. Uh, so I, I was like working with a few people to like write some pieces in English and then translate them into Spanish and try to help people down there. Um, and basically what, and this leads into Latin because as I was growing my minds, I kept selling Bitcoin to buy the machines if anyone here bought a machine back then, you had to sell the Bitcoin. It took six months to get. And every time you paid for the machine, Bitcoin just went vertical. <laughs> and, and I was so frustrated. And all I wanted was a loan. I wanted somebody to lend me dollars and let me back it with my Bitcoin so that I didn't lose my upside when I paid for my ASICs. That was like my biggest impetus. And I said to my, and I, in my mind, I, I thought to myself, how many people must be dying for this service? Like how many people are in my shoes right now wanting to not sell their Bitcoin? And then the other piece to that was that I had done really well shorting the Bolivar. And the way you short the Bolivar, you know, some people ask, like, oh, how do you short the Bolivar? Like, how do you short a currency? It's actually not that hard. You literally borrow the currency, you buy something else with it. <laughs> and you wait for inflation to do its thing. And so at a high level to your point, Fiat dominoes are fiat dominoes. Like the dollar is just a prettier version of the Bolivar, but systemically they are the same. Like you know, structurally they work the same. So this concept of having a money that is, or having a collateral that is, has less stock to flow than gold, less stock to flow than property, and more property assurances than even like North American property. I thought to myself like. This is going to become the mortgage for any for someone in Latin America. This is going to become the mortgage for somebody anywhere where there are no property rights, and uh, and that that made us very very excited. And then my co-founder Adam had spent the last ten years financing renewable energy, so he had seen the evolution cycle of institutions basically coming into an asset class and saying, "I don't get it." But five years later, they were all killing each other to. Like, like finance these assets at like single digit returns. And that's somewhat, that was the thesis at the beginning. And that's why we built that in as a very regulatory and compliant way, because we thought that our, the game we were playing or we are playing is to be able to transact and interact with the large counterparties that have that 0% money, because then we can take that 0% money and give it to all the Bitcoiners that we can all over the world to finance their Bitcoin. And, uh, and so that's really the, the sort of goal is to provide financial services for Bitcoiners to get more Bitcoin, hopefully. Like that's obviously the, the, the goal with our services. Uh, and, and obviously there are benefits and there are risks to the loans that we can get into as well. But we are very big on education because the, obviously we want people to walk out of land with more Bitcoin than they came in. Uh, but that for that, you need to understand the product. You need to understand how do you protect yourself? How do you use it? It's like... A, you know, it's like a tool, a tool used properly in the right way will get you, will do well. If you don't use it right, it could hurt you. So that's why, you know, we're very, very big on making sure people go in, go into all of the, all of our products, like eyes wide open 
so that they know when they need to act and how they need to act. Right, cool. And we will go down these rabbit holes because I'm, I'm dying to know. And I want to know as well if your brother's still mining. Is he still at it? We're not. No, no we're not. Uh, <laughs> no, in, in Venezuela, so Venezuela created a government pool uh, and they forced everyone to go to the pool. As you know, uh, you know, in that case, you know, there, there's one thing to say, not your keys, not your coins. Uh, it's a comp completely different thing to say, hey, you're the guy that has been punishing you and destroying your country for the last 25 years is going to be managing the pool that your hard work uh, is going to be contributing to. And that you, you just don't do it. Man, that's just nuts. All right. So Leden, the name. Yeah, I just lost you. The name. Oh, how, the how name. Yeah. So, uh, so the name. So when Adam and I were chatting, uh, and we were just thinking about setting up a lending, because we were looking around at the very early days, and we said we don't love how the lending services. There were a few lending services at the time, but they all required tokens and you know all these things, and they all kind of come up with ICO craze, and we didn't want to do any of that. Like uh, we, we didn't think people needed a token. We didn't think people needed any of that stuff to, to borrow uh, or to do or to access a loan. Uh, and so we wanted to give it a, we wanted to make a nod to Bitcoin, obviously, because we were going to be Bitcoin back loans. We wanted to be the first Bitcoin back loan in Canada, which we were. And um, at the time, you know, obviously HODL, HODL has always been a meme uh, within the Bitcoin community. And I was just looking around for, you know, I was just trying to brainstorm serving for like quick short names that were not too long and that could be somehow relatable to Bitcoin or relatable to lending itself. And so I just, I don't, I can't recall what, how the thought came up, but I was like, what if we just call it Lenin? And, uh, and I'm like, that, I won't believe, like that, do, that domain won't be available. And so we're like, Lenin.io. And I was like, oh crap, the domain's available. And so we bought it. And, uh, and we registered it and we said, you know, it'll be, it'll be tricky. It's funny at the beginning, some people were like, what does that mean? You know, what is, what do you guys do? Uh, but over time, people even had a hard time pronouncing it. Uh, but it has been beautiful to see like how over time people are like, oh, Lenin. Oh yeah, no, Lenin, like Lenin, you guys, Lenin against Bitcoin. And, oh, the name's hilarious. Like, and you know, immediately who's a Bitcoiner and who isn't by, <laughs> by whether they know what the name means. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the origin of it. Do you want to fill those listeners that are listening that might not know the original HODL meme, uh, how, how that became, uh, th th there could be some people out there that, I mean, like Michael Saylor famously said, yeah, it's hold on for dear life, you know, mm, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not, like <laughs> it's not, it's not. Uh, so the, the term HODL comes from a Bitcoin talk forum. And um, at least this is the story. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the no, one yeah, I've this read. This is the one times, I know. This is the one I know. Yeah. yeah. So it was, a, it was a particular trader who was essentially posting late at night, uh, somewhat inebriated, uh, the, the story goes. And he was just complaining that he could not trade, that he was very bad at timing the market. He was very bad at selling when it was high and buying when it was low. And because he was just so much worse than all these supposedly great traders that he did not, he, he gave up from trading. He refused trading and he was just going to hold. And he was so emphatic about it. And he was a little bit drunk that he did it in all caps and he made a typo. And he says, I'm just going to huddle. I'm just going to huddle. And the whole, the post went viral and he became a bit of a, 
personality and, and it became HODL. And a lot of people kind of gave it, to your point, they tried to give it acronyms and, and make it about something else, but it was really about not trading, just hold on for the long run and, and you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be just fine. Uh, and so that, that, I think that's sort of the, the, the mantra is like this long-term faith in Bitcoin that it's like, you're in it for the long-term, you're not in it to do a quick flip, or if you try to do that, it probably won't work. Do you think he's telling girls at the bar like, "Yeah, I'm I'm behind the mo- the hodl meme"? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, what? It's, no, it's it's terrible for picking up. Girls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All yeah. right, so so let's let's move on to Ledin then, and let's let's kind of walk through an experience that somebody coming to look at your your platform and your service. Uh, might expect so let, let's let's make up a scenario somebody needs to borrow fifty thousand dollars for a deposit on an apartment I'm, I'm sure this is probably one of your most basic requests I, I don't know good question why don't I just ask you what is your most basic request <laughs> so it, it varies on many people Bitcoin needs different things for different people around the world a lot of people have more Bitcoin than others so it, it to people's financial situation really the uh, uh influences how they use the services or which services they use. So we, we have an increasingly large number of wealthy Canadian Bitcoiners that were in it a long time ago, and they have a very big gain, uh, implicit gain on their Bitcoin, and they find in our loans a much more tax efficient way of accessing access to that cash and diversifying their asset base. So many people that have a lot of Bitcoin are using our loans to buy homes, and sometimes those loans are like north of a couple million bucks uh, to, to actually go buy the home outright. Some people, to your point, use it for the down payment um, because our, our because the borrowing costs have come down so much on our loans. So right now our loans are nine and a half. So many people use it to you know pay off higher interest stuff. So higher interest debt on a credit card or higher interest something else. Um, that's one use case. The B two X product is. You know, our most popular loan product, and that's the loan that people use to buy more Bitcoin. So they, they use the Bitcoin they already own, they take a loan and the collateral Bitcoin doubles. So they, they have a loan outstanding, but double the collateral. And so that's actually, uh, you know, our most popular loan, uh, I would say, as far as use cases. And then when you go down to like Latin America, uh, you know, people people use our loans for all the like, things like buy, uh, paying for school or paying for a computer, uh, getting a new miner, uh, you know, uh, traveling. Some guy actually a long time ago, this was pre-pandemic, he, he took out a loan from Mexico to start a, a, a concert series. So he wanted to start like a music festival. So entrepreneurs actually are, are quite, it's, it's like quite a big use case. Uh, people that are, that are, and also people that get paid in Bitcoin and don't want to, uh, a lot of people that work in like very prominent companies uh, and they get they get the whole thing in Bitcoin, and they just don't want to sell their Bitcoin, so they use their loans for their rent, their cash flow, uh, things like that. It's a bit of a it's it's a bit of a wide spectrum on the loans, uh, on the savings accounts. You know, people from all over and, and all sorts of amounts like earning interest rates on, on both the Bitcoin and the USDC. Um, and we just launched the option to trade between your savings accounts, which uh, which we're very very happy about. Uh, a lot of times. People asked us because they they had Bitcoin with us and they they saw you know they wanted to reposition but they didn't want to leave that in and come back and so that was a feature request that we got often and and we went out and built it uh, so that's that's available to most 
the most of our clients, some US states aren't and some jurisdictions are not, not available yet, but for the most part, I think it's, it's available. So this BTX, uh, B2X uh, product that you're talking about, um, people might be interested in learning how that works. Let's walk through that one and then we'll walk through um, somebody just trying to get a, like a, a, a nice sized loan to, to buy a property. But what, you know, yeah, B2X, if, if I come to the, um, the platform, uh, what am I, you know, what am I looking to do? What's my thought process? And, uh, you know, what am I looking to walk away with? Yeah, so the B2X is, is a loan. So what we noticed at the beginning when we launched a loan product was that people were coming in with a Bitcoin, borrowing half a Bitcoin equivalent, going out and buying Bitcoin with those dollars, bringing it back, taking another loan and doing this over and over and over again until they could borrow as much as they could from the Bitcoin to buy more Bitcoin. So what we did at the beginning was say, can we make this process simpler? Can we, so that clients don't have to go to a different place. Like if what they want is to use their Bitcoin to buy more Bitcoin, let's just create a loan that allows them to do that. So if you come to, for, and, and I'll show you how this works out to exactly the same underwriting as a normal loan. In a normal loan, you come to us with one Bitcoin and we can issue you a loan for half a Bitcoin, right? So our collateral is one Bitcoin. Our liability is half a Bitcoin that we gave you right? work in, in cash. If you were to come to Lenin with a half Bitcoin and you said to us, I want to buy another half Bitcoin, then we could actually lend you the additional money to buy that half a Bitcoin if, you, if we could lock them up as collateral for that loan. So at the end state, you will have a one, one full Bitcoin as collateral and a loan outstanding for that half a Bitcoin worth. So the underwriting at the end of the day, at, at the end state is the same for us. And so what you do at Lenin when you, if you want to use the B2X product, so what, what will happen many times is that people will come and they, they'll start using our savings account and they'll have whatever, let's just call it one Bitcoin there. And then there's a dip and then they say, okay, I want to you know, buy this dip with the Bitcoin I have. And they use B2X and what the service does is you log in, it shows you what the, what the price of Bitcoin is. It shows you what the loan would be after you add in our fee. So like the administrative fee, et cetera. And then you literally just have to click yes. And when you click accept and you put it into a FA, we execute a purchase for that Bitcoin, for that additional Bitcoin. And then we lock them up as collateral for that loan. So you will have an outstanding loan for the equivalent value of one Bitcoin. So say today's case, $33,000. And then you have two Bitcoins sitting as collateral for that loan. So if the price of Bitcoin goes to say 60, you can then sell only a half a Bitcoin to repay the outstanding amount and you walk out with one and a half Bitcoins. So the idea, obviously the, the, the product is for people that want to get more exposure to the upside of Bitcoin. Um, and uh, and there, but the, the flip side of the product, all, as, as same as you make Bitcoin and it goes up, you will require to be sending more collateral if it goes down. And if it drops down fast and, and you're not able to send additional collateral, we will have to sell a, a significant portion of that Bitcoin to close the outstanding amount. That's the only protection that we have for the that we lent. So that's really how the product works. Uh, and a lot of people use it to, uh, one of the unique features of, the, of B2X is that one, it doesn't charge you monthly interest. So all interest accrues to when you choose to pay it is 12 month term. So you can, we have people that like roll them for, many, many times uh, and, and they just, they're in there for the long run. They've been in this position for a while, they just roll it. And then the other interesting thing about B2X is in many other platforms, the only way out of some of these trades is to close the, the trade entirely to take out the Bitcoin. 
which means you sold the Bitcoin, which in many cases would be a taxable event. But with B2X, you can actually send the dollar amount to Ledin to repay the loan and take out the full collateral Bitcoin without actually selling it. So that is a tax uh, advantage that many of our clients use as well. Right. Okay. And I guess people are going to be wondering, how are you funded? How, how are you guys able to, to offer this service? So we are, we, we've raised private capital from day one. So we don't, we don't have a token uh, from day one. We went to private investors. Uh, today we've raised uh, around $35 million US. Um, our investors are, uh, you know, we're backed by, you know, Alan Howard, Alexis Ohanian, Coinbase Ventures, uh, Parify, Susquehanna, uh, Kingsway Capital, Global Founders Capital, uh, who am I missing? Um, White Star Capital, oh my God, how could I forget White Star Capital, they let our secret on there, we love those guys. Uh, Kingsway is amazing. Uh, we've, we've, we've gotten a, an incredible support from you know, investors that frankly, I, I feel very proud to say that we work with. I, I, uh, I, you know, at the beginning, I was, I was almost fanboying <laughs> when, when we were talking to these people, but uh, they're incredibly smart. They are incredibly connected. And uh, yeah, we're just very happy to see where they can help us go. And how do you keep the, the Bitcoin safe? Because this is obviously, you know, you, you being a Bitcoin maxi, you, you know, the, the mantra is not your keys, not your coins. Uh, so somebody coming to, to use your service are going to want assurances that, um, you know, you've got them nice and safe and under lock and key. And how, how have you figured that out? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, to your point, with, with any custodial services, there is risk. So that's why that's the first thing I like to be transparent about. We do everything we can and we work with the absolute top counterparties and have, in our view, the most robust processes and policies internally. We, we work with the most conservative asset mix. We hope only Bitcoin and USDC for now. We work with our custodian is BitGo, uh, you know, who many know is, is, I think, was the first qualified custodian for Bitcoin in the States. The, one, the first one to get the designation. That's important for regulatory reasons as well. Um, so that's them. As far as counterparties, we work. We, we try to work with the tip of the top uh, as far as counterparties for our lending activities. So um, historically, our, our primary counterparty has been Genesis. Uh, they are, you know, many people see them as you know, somewhat of a central bank for for Bitcoin and crypto, and um, they are an incredible group to work with. You know, they're very well capitalized and they have the expertise. They were lending before anyone else was, so they they know the game in and out. They've been through the most crashes and and you know very. Uh, no, nothing bad to say, nothing but good things to say really about their operations so far. Uh, and in addition to that, you know, we're, we're, we've, we're working and investing very heavily in our risk team. So we just had uh, John Glover join us. He was previously at Barclays and, and, and TD running FX. And he's been really good at helping us open up and evaluate our counterparties. And obviously we're, we're doing very extensive credit checks. And many of our counterparties are actually investors in Meta which is obviously important because there's aligned interests. And, and so that's what, um, to, your, you know, to your point, I like to first say that there are risks like with any custodial product, but you know, our team lives and breathes essentially how we, how we keep people's assets safe. So have you got them in some kind of multi-sig or what's the... So all of our stuff has, has multi-sig type permissioning. So there will be, Three out of five, two out of three in the in the lowest of cases. 
but yes, like anything internally to move assets around is a, is a multi-sig. Okay, cool. And do you want to explain to listeners what USDC is in case uh, they, they might be wondering uh, about that terminology? Yes, so USDC and um, USDC is a token that is backed by a dollar. And what USDC allows people to do, and in, in, in this, is, this is, and I like to say this, especially in, 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 in to Bitcoiners, because a lot, of, a lot of friends of mine that are Bitcoiners, you know, we have this idea of stable coins or Bitcoin and nothing else. And I, I will be the first person to say that stable coins fulfill a role for people in emerging markets, a very important role, I, I will add. And it is because for us, it's easy to say, we're gonna go get a bank account and transfer funds to friends in stable value. And all of our friends are Bitcoiners already, so they don't really care. But if you're a person that lives in the real world, you're not like entrenched in Bitcoin. And what you know and understand is that the dollar protects you from inflation. That is a massive tool for that person uh, to protect him, his or herself, his, him or herself from their treacherous fiat you know, mismanagement. So what this is allowed to do is many people across the world are using these. So many people around the world have never actually earned interest in dollars. Do you know that? Like earning, to, to, for somebody to be able to earn interest in dollars is, is actually like, if you ask in Venezuela somebody like, will you ever be able to earn interest in dollars? They'll tell you like, no, that's just for Warren Buffett. Like I'll never be able to do stuff like that. And now people all over the world can now buy these tokens that are dollar representations, come to Lenin, get a world-class interest rate. Hey, and guess what? When they're here, they're going to see that Bitcoin outperforms their dollar. And over time, they're going to say, hey, well, why don't I just move a little bit to Bitcoin? Why don't I just move a little more to Bitcoin? Like that is really what I think will happen. And so I see this as a bit of a Trojan horse that solves a massive problem and that is also a feeder into Bitcoin. All so right. a, a basically, yeah, the, the question was what a stable point, what, what USDC is, but it is a stable point with the dollar representation, yeah. Right, okay, cool. Uh, all right, let's run through the scenario then where somebody's coming in and says, I want, I need 50 grand, you know, I, I want to try and get that asset. I want to try and get that apartment. Uh, you know, I want to move out and, uh, you know, live my own life. What are the kind of terms that that you offer to if they've got bitcoin to put down as collateral what are the terms of the loan what's the percentage of the loan how long is the term of the loan how does it work let's do the uh, the nitty-gritty definitely so the loan is for a 12-month term and all of our loans are for a 12-month term and if the if the ltv is healthy at the end of the loan you can always roll that loan into a new term obviously it'll be a new loan with a new fee etc but that's an option um, so the loans are for 12 month terms. The interest rate right now is nine and a half percent interest. And there is a 2% administration fee for the, it's a one-time fee when you take out the loan. And the, to get a $50,000 loan, you will have to send twice as much Bitcoin as collateral. So it'll be a hundred thousand dollars equivalent of Bitcoin held as collateral for the $50,000 loan that you get. And that equates to a 50% loan to value. So we, we lend you 50% of the value of the collateral. And once we issue that loan, the uh, important things to keep in mind that one, you don't have to pay monthly interest. Like I said, all the interest accrues until the day you wanna pay back the loan. So it's really a set it and forget it in that sense. 
The other thing that's important to keep in mind is that the loan is issued at a 50% loan to value ratio. The only collateral that we have to protect that capital is the Bitcoin value, the market value of that Bitcoin. And so as that LTV goes up, so as, as the value of Bitcoin drops, your LTV goes up from 50 to 60 to 70. At 70% LTV, you get the first courtesy email from Ledger. And the, <laughs> That's what the, they called the, it, yeah. <laughs> the, the courtesy so, email, right, okay. Yeah, well, it's a require it's a requirement to add more Bitcoin for if you don't want Bitcoin to be sold to close the loan. So we let yes. you know. That so you what, what would Bitcoin. one of those what would one of those emails say typically? This Your, is this is the email. Say, that, this is the email that people are going to dread, right? So yeah. Yeah. So the email says, you know, hey Daniel, uh, your loan has reached a critical LTV status. Please check your loan immediately. Uh, and send additional collateral. If your LTV reaches 80% at any time, we will have to sell as, as, many, as much Bitcoin as required to close your loan. So um, with, with Bitcoin moving so fast, it could happen that the email goes out and at 70% and 80% was reached within you know, mm -hmm. hours or minutes. I don't want to scare people, but I'm just, you know, we can't control how fast the price moves. So what we have done in the past is we try to encourage our clients to send additional collateral to their loans because there's nothing preventing you from sending more Bitcoin to a loan and bringing the LTV down. Mm -hmm. So you can always send more Bitcoin to your loan. So what we try to encourage our clients is to keep their LTVs as low as possible. Um, you know, there were guys in May that never got a margin call because their LTVs were so low. They were just preemptively sending Bitcoin to it. But it's really about learning how not to get close to that point. Because if you're, you know, if you're getting to that point where you have to react in that short time frame, you're putting yourself against the wall, really, in, in the sort of odds that you are going to be able to react. Because it can catch you when you're asleep, it can catch you when you're traveling. So what we try to encourage people is to be long-term planning. We always try to do features that we think will be helpful. So for example, when you try to send collateral from savings to loans, if you have balance in your Bitcoin savings account and you want to top up your loan, that transaction is instant and immediate. It doesn't go on chain. It gets confirmed right away. It essentially goes to your loan collateral and it, it'll help you top up your loan in an environment of potentially clogged networks and high fees. So we, we do everything we can and we have tutorials and how to's and our, our support team has like a blistering speed response time in these, these type of market moves. That's how we try to help our clients kind of meet these requirements. Right, okay. Um... But if the reverse were to happen, uh, like you were saying, you, you said if the price of Bitcoin is going down, then your loan to value ratio is going up. Yeah, I think that's what you said. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, what if the price of Bitcoin is going up? All your Bitcoin. Like it's, it's all yours. We, we don't want to ask you for a, for a dime. I mean, once the, once the LTV goes low enough, you can actually get collateral back. So um, if your LTV goes below 35%, for 30 days, you can contact our support team for a courtesy rebalance up to 40%. So you basically, we have too much Bitcoin uh, for that loan and it, we can, we'll, we'll give you back as much Bitcoin as, it is, as we can to get your LTV back to 40% so that you could just, that's not trapped in there basically. Uh, so it's the reverse of, of what happened the way down. And if we get to the end of the, the, the contract and, um... That you know the Bitcoin price has gone. You know, let's say Bitcoin's done its thing, and 
what, what, what's like the absolute best scenario that somebody could face? The absolute best scenario is you you did a a one Bitcoin B two X. You know when Bitcoin was ten k, let's just call it ten k. Bitcoin went to hundred k. So your your the value of your collateral went from twenty thousand dollars to two hundred thousand dollars, and your loan was for ten thousand dollars. So let's just say at the end of all of that, your loan balance after everything is twelve k, right? And you have 200K a sitting of collateral. Well, then you're going to have to sell a few Satoshis to repay your outstanding amount. And you're going to walk out with 1.99 some Bitcoin, essentially. Instead and the asset, whatever you bought on the, uh, with the fiat. Uh, well, that would be a B2X case. I, I told oh, you that, that's a B2X case. Yeah, yeah yes. you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get the, but in, the, in that case, you know, we, we, <laughs> You know, I can't really speak to specific clients, but like there are cases where people have taken on massive loans when Bitcoin was at, you know, 10K to buy a house. And now their house is worth this and their collateral is worth that. And so they're, you know, they're, they did pretty well. That's nuts, right? I mean, think about that. That like, you know, you walk away with the house and almost all of the Bitcoin that you put, that you placed as collateral. Not the number, the value, right? The value or, or of that Bitcoin, because I think, I mean, it depends on how you want to repay the loan. Because if you want to repay the loan with some of that collateral, you'll have to kind of sacrifice some, some of that Bitcoin amount. The mm -hmm. value will be much, much higher. But mm -hmm. to your point, you know, if you're thinking sats or dollars, your mind's just bending a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're so early, aren't we? And uh, I mean, obviously you, you have competition in, in this space. Um, how are you doing things slightly differently to, to those that are offering this service? Uh, that's a great question and something we're very proud of. So we are the only lender, at least in our view, or to my knowledge, to do... Accountant. So we do Armino LLP. And what this means is that every six months, Armino comes... So, uh, sorry, know, Maurizio. I, management I, team and they so review... I, I, I think I just uh, lost, I, I cut out. I don't know whether the, the, the audio did, but just in case we missed it, I just want to make sure you're very proud of, and then I got cut, but uh, yeah. Sure, so I don't no, no make, worries. I want to make sure we get this. So yeah, what are you proud of again, please? No worries. So that's something that we're really proud of, like what we do differently than our competitors. So a few things in our list, like the first one is we are, to my knowledge, the only lender in the industry that does uh, routine proof of reserves attestations with a certified public accountant. So every six months, the, the team at Arbonino, uh, who's been great to work with, they come with us, they meet with our management team. We assist them so that they can take a look at what we have in our uh, exchange account, our custody account, our lending accounts, and then what our clients have sitting with us. And so they compare our assets, they compare our liabilities, and they, and they give every one of our clients a hashed ID where a client can click and then go to the Armorino website through their Trust Explorer as a third-party site and confirm that the balance that was that their balance on their dashboard at the time of the attestation matches what Armorino saw as pertaining to that account. It'll and it'll match to the Satoshi and to the cent. Um, and that is done basically to so that our clients have the peace of mind that our sort of books, our books are, in, there's integrity in our books, right? Like when we say we have these assets from you, we say we've lent these assets to that person, those assets are actually there. And um, the way that, it, that this report itself can be crowdsourced is that if all of our clients go, 
and see that their balance is matched. It, it only takes one client that the balance whose balance does not match so that you know that something's off. So that's why we give this number to each one of them so that they can all go and check for themselves and they can, they don't trust verify basically the, the, the report itself. And so um, that, that's something that we're, we're really, really proud of. Um, or actually our next, our, our next statistician is coming real soon. And um, the other thing that we do differently is we focus in emerging markets a lot more than our competitors. Um, a lot of our competitors, you know, are, are uh, focusing very heavily and fighting very hard for investor markets. Uh, we think that this, these products in the long term will have a huge, huge impact in the lives of people in emerging markets. So we focus on the markets from day one. And uh, how we did that is we translated the services. I know that sounds trivial in 2021, but we're still, I think, the only lender with Spanish and Portuguese uh, offerings. And this was important to us because we saw how people were entering Bitcoin in these markets and it was very different how, how people enter markets Bitcoin here. Here, it's an intellectual curiosity. You read Safe's book, you, you, know, you hear tour speak, you're like, oh, you know, this is beautiful. There, it's like, you're getting paid. Uh, the Bolivar is, Bolivars are gonna be worth half tomorrow. The government doesn't let you buy dollars. Uh, you can't buy tires. Uh, you know, boy, boy here is trying to sell you some cash euros, but you don't know where they're coming from. And then you're, you're like, whoa, boy, like, but here's this Bitcoin thing. And, and then you can, you can earn interest with these Bitcoin things. You can sell them all over the world, but you don't really know. And it's, and it's in English and it's in an app that you can download on your phone. And, it's, and so what we did is we said, we're gonna make this into Spanish. It's going to be very simple. We're going to have customer support in Spanish and all the documentation and all the legal agreements and everything are gonna be in Spanish as well. And that's because you, we wanted to add a semblance of relatability and understanding to the experience because it was already too many variables and unknowns. And that has resonated really, really well with, with, with people down there, Bitcoiners down there in general. And not just the language, but a lot of our clients designed these products for a North American crowd, like the loan starting at 10K or 5K, you can buy a house in Mexico with 10,000 US dollars. So our loans start at 500 US dollars. And although we don't make a ton of money on those loans, it, we built our tech stack so that we could originate loans in that denomination break even because we knew that that was going to be necessary for people to grow and expand in the platform and that's where that's the that's the journey actually that you see but uh but but doing having all that tech and i know it sounds kind of simple but like being able to do a global loan for 500 dollars and do it in a, in a competitive basis so you're not hosing the borrower uh, it takes a lot of tech and a lot of structuring. And, and so we're, we're really happy that, that you know, we, we got that out in the market. Yeah, well done, man. That, that's great. And so that, might, that does lead into my question about, you know, how, how do you guys make your money, right? You've got, you got a business to run. You've got bills to pay. You've got a team to look after. You, you want to grow. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's coming from a well, some of it from the 2% admin fee that, that you charge um, at the beginning. Is there any other kind of hidden costs or what, what's, what's, how are you doing it? No, it's a spread business. So we, you know, we borrow on one side and we lend on the other. And so we have to do, you know, we borrow a little bit cheaper than we lend. And so we keep that spread uh, similar with the loan. So as the spreads get tighter, obviously the, the fees play a bigger role. So like the admin fee versus the interest spread. So it's a, it's a mixture of fees and spreads that we try to optimize and, 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 you know, move those levers so that the client has a great experience, but yet to your point, you get to keep the lights on 
uh, and build it. But it's basically a spread and fees business. Uh, and we try to keep the spreads as tight as we can and the fees as, as low as we can, really. That's the, the name of the game, I guess. And you're running a Bitcoin balance sheet? Or do you still have to run a fiat balance sheet? What's the... Uh... It's a blend. It's a blend. It's a blend. <laughs> but we have both. Uh, but nice. we have both. Uh, well, so we have... What's nice about that is the... Um, what we all know as Bitcoin is the... You know, if, if you on a Bitcoin standard of any kind of sorts, there's, it breeds truth and honesty. A hundred percent. I completely agree because there's nowhere to hide. And, and, and that's one of the things that I, I'm proud of being a privately funded company because we don't have a, a token machine that we can go burr on and, and like hide problems away. Um, so, and to your point, like there, there in our business, there is no lender of last resort. Like we are, are the only stewards of our own fate. Like we have to make sure that our processes and procedures are tip top because it's our life that's in line, right? And that's also something that we're very proud of. We're very, we're in here like the most as skin in the game as you could possibly be, uh, and 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 we're not afraid of that. Like we're human we want we're not perfect we want to do our absolute best and we think we have the best team of humans possible assembled to, to do this uh but at the same time like we are very honest with ourselves right like if we don't do this right then we lose everything that we've built and everything that we've worked for so uh no no one here is in for a quick trip you know we, we all want to build a, a, a world-class company and, and and to your point i think we we try to be as aware of the risks as we can be and just acknowledge them and address them in the best way we can. Are you using your own products to, to stack? How are you stacking? Your Hell stack? yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, absolutely, man. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I had to deplete my stack almost entirely to, to build, to make this a reality, to be very honest with you, uh, which was, which was very painful, but I'll do it all over again if I had to. Uh, but I'm slowly rebuilding my stack. And of course, I'm using my own products to do that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, how do you time, well, not, not time the market, but what tools are you using? So when, when you're looking at these long-to-value ratios very, very closely, obviously, because if they're going to get too high and you're going to have to margin call someone, you, you, you want to make sure you do that in a timely manner. <clears throat> what are you using to track the price? So you mean for like the system itself or what do I use, what do I use to gauge like price? Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, like um, many different exchanges have many different prices at all at the same time. So, you know, we, we, are you using an aggregated price from different feeds or what was the, the way you Yeah, do so we, we usually, we use best order routing in the background. So essentially we work with a plethora of exchanges and, and we essentially make sure that we are using a tradable price that is put through. It's we use aggregators and we use redundancies at the same time. So it's basically like a, a, a plethora of things. But the main one comes from our, our main liquidity provider, which themselves they work as a as a best order routing system. So it's it's actually great because it gives us the robustness of them making sure that they're trading on their exchanges. But if for some reason they go down, we have our own redundancies as well. And so it's a, it's a it's a blend of both, but at the, at the very top, the main one is essentially a, a, it's a best order routing system that comes through. For us, we don't know which, which exchange is giving it to us, but we just know that it's a tradable price that is getting updated every minute. Right. Yeah. Very important. Um, 
yeah very yeah it's good it's good to hear and i know as well that um that you guys uh sponsor you've got a little sponsorship on the uh, the bitbo page with with chris right yeah we do we we work with a bunch of bitcoiners like we've been working with btc sessions for a long time uh we work with guys like dan held um anybody that makes great content like we we like supporting uh and we're not we're not in it for a quick buck either like we we want to have these these people we want to help them grow because they've helped us grow um and so yeah I, I love that's one of the funnest parts of my job is is to getting to talk to people that are doing things like well things like you're, what you're doing on this podcast and like what everyone does to spread the knowledge and a lot of these people are like ambassadors that do it for fun and uh and being able to like transition that passion project into like an income producing project and us having being helpful to be a part of that is is you know that's exciting so uh, happy to i've seen so many bitcoiners build passion projects into income generating businesses that is i i think that's so so cool it's amazing it's you know this this started out as a hobby and uh you know the, a, a few sponsors that a show it, it doesn't pay much but it puts a big smile on my face that I'm adding value to someone. And there's there's definitely, like like you said, there's people out there that have just started building out on their hobbies and all of a sudden that's become a website and that's become a YouTube channel. And then there's some kind of little gizmo or widget or device that they've also added on top of that. And bam, they've managed to leave their fiat job. This is classic for our work week style kind of, you know, build up that kind of small, income revenue stream that at some point you will be able to free yourself and holding an asset like bitcoin just speeds all of that up by like 10x it's it's crazy i want to ask you a question about the the financialization of bitcoin uh, because this is something that really uh, i'm very very much interested in i love nick batia's book layered money i had him on the show recently uh, and coming from financial markets you know, myself having having worked there for, for 18 years, seeing how markets expand over time and new products come in, obviously the lending market is a financialization process of Bitcoin. I always thought that we were very early in that. And I don't know now whether perhaps I'm being a little naive there. How far down the line of the maturation process do you think we are in terms of lending and using bitcoin as collateral it, you guys have been around there's others like you out there um they come with their cynics and critics as much as they do their you know their plaudits so where are we in this this kind of cycle and uh how safe is it for people to start using services such as these yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so I guess, you know, I, I wouldn't know with certainty, but I can give you my interpretation of where I think we are in the spectrum. Um, I think in the early days, you had um, you had a few attempts at, you know, uncollateralized lending. I'm talking like really, really early days of Bitcoin, like 2014, like you had these type of reputation type of systems that kind of went out and tried to do this V1 lending around Bitcoin, but it didn't work because lenders need collateral and what ended up happening in these systems is that people built up their reputations as collateral and then they rug pulled their lenders. And so it was just, there was just no teeth for, for, the, for the lenders. It wasn't a fair type of model to go. Um, 
Then the second type of the V2 lenders, I would call them, came around and they were the token lenders. They were the guys that saw an opportunity to raise a lot of money with some tokens and to create this service and somehow kind of weave the token into it however best they could to, to kind of excuse the reason that they were doing this. Uh, but that created a very toxic culture of excesses of like an endless money supply. Some of those programs already went bust. Some of them went belly up. Some of them got fines from the SEC. Uh, and so that was not really a long-term vision. You can see that some of these players came at it with a very kind of short-term way of getting things done. What I would think are V3 lenders, uh, in which place I would put, you know, without naming names, two competitors that we have with great respect out of, uh, down in the US, which I think one has achieved their success through innovation and financial scale. The other one has reached that by, by, by continuing to stay true to the Bitcoin ethos and, and you know, playing, catering more to that community. I would put Lenin in that bucket to where there has been a third generation of lenders that are approaching this with a much, much more sound strategy, with a much, much more long-term approach without perhaps the shortcuts and the, and the issues that you had in the V1 and the V2s. And it is very much a long-term project. And where I think this is gaining traction is because you're now seeing that these platforms are getting supported by world-class investors and institutions that typically don't invest in equity for a quick flip. So like, you know, guys like, you know, Alan Howard investing in Lenin or guys like Nidig getting more active in the lending space. Um, guys like Peter Thiel getting more active in these companies. Like those to me are huge signals that they see a long-term industry building here, not a passing trend. And while I would caution everyone listening that not all rates are created equal, not all savings accounts are created equal, not all loans are created equal. Like if there's one thing that I would like people to take away from is do your research. Like, please do your research before you use these services. Um, there are many of us out there that are, I believe are great at what we do. And I just, I not to speak poorly about anyone else in the industry, but just do your research and know what you're getting into um, because the sausage is not made the same everywhere. And so um, that, that was one thing that I would caution. But over time, what I think then is like, you're starting to see this already. The companies that are doing things right are starting to pull away from the companies who aren't. And they're starting to kind of gain more gravity and gain more interest and they're getting named again and again and again. And so I see that coming in. I think we're still early in the lending because banks aren't in this yet. Right. And they have the 0% money. And mm -hmm. right now we're still lending at somewhat double digit ranges in Bitcoin. Why? Why? Bitcoin's a better asset to finance than houses than stock, than anything out there. You can't sell the door if, the, if your borrower goes bust on a house. You can't, like Bitcoin is, per, I mean, in my view, I don't want to sound like a lunatic, but in my view, it's the best collateral that I've ever seen uh, as far as being able to act, give people access to financial services. Until Bitcoin, a person in Colombia could not borrow from a person in Canada without in Canada actually having some collateral that it could not happen. You couldn't ship a car. You couldn't ship, you couldn't take your risk on the underwriting of the credit locally. Bitcoin is the first asset in the world that allows this. And I think it's going to radically change lending. Um, I think the most successful type of lending that I can think of is the real estate market in the United States, the most, the biggest tool to give people leverage to short the dollar. And you could short the dollar to the tune of 20x with a mortgage now or 10x you can do a 10x short of the dollar with a mortgage 
and one percent and backed by the government. Jesus. Like, uh, so I don't. I'm not saying that the government's going to all of a sudden start backing the value of Bitcoin, but I can tell you, financial institutions will definitely start bidding down those interest rates once they see that companies like Lenin can hold zero loan losses lending against Bitcoin over and over and over and over. And once our loan losses match the loan losses of a house lender, then our rates are going to be the same. But guess what? I think it's 8 billion people can access this product versus 300 million can access the other. So like, I just think from a numbers basis, this Bitcoin is going to be the, the sort of most financed asset uh, around the world for people. Like the people will use Bitcoin back loans the way that people use mortgages today in the United States. That's my interpretation. Yeah, I was going to ask you a question about that. Do you know, if somebody was, you know, listening here now and thinking to themselves, you know, if they if they were lucky enough to own that asset, to own that house, uh, they could free up cash by remortgaging that at very, very low interest rates, taking the fiat and just buying Bitcoin, right? Yep. There, there wouldn't be any need for them to risk their Bitcoin, um, you know, with a loan of like nine and a half percent to pay back uh, over time, over 12 months. Um, so, uh, and then when do the banks wake up? I know Nidig are doing amazing things like, uh, guys, please follow Nidig, put them on alerts because all of the, I don't know why they're doing the most incredible announcements, but they seem to be going under the radar every single time. What they're doing is huge. Uh, when do the banks wake up, mate, and start coming and being one of your competitors in this space? Like when did Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, or Morgan Stanley, Best Term, Bank of America, Citibank turn around and say, yo, we will, I, it's, it's going to happen, right? I think, do you not think? No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I, I think for this, and this is, we're getting there. We're getting there because you already, you already have groups like Fidelity, Silvergate, uh, Signature started to, to, offer Bitcoin back loans to companies like us because we can then tranche them out to, to more people. So this is starting. The interest has begun. Um, what they have done in the past, many people think banks are on the sidelines, but like, who, who do you think is investing in like things like Andreessen Horowitz 2.2 billion dollar round? Like it's, banks are in the, in the background. Like you, they, you, you might not have, you know, Bank of America on your cap table, but like you have some, some version of Bank of America on your cap table, right? So like, they're, they're not sitting on the sidelines. You, a lot of people have to understand also that in banking, a lot of it is regulatory, right? Like a Bank of America cannot be perceived to be running towards Bitcoin when the US regulator is still saying, whoa, 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 you know, let me figure out the rules here. Um, and it's a bit of like, where are you in the spectrum of don't mess up the business to you actually have to grow your business. So if you look at groups like Signature, Silvergate, uh, et cetera, groups that are hungrier, smaller banks, they are moving, they are innovating, they are trying to push the boundary. Look at the incumbents, they're not gonna to touch it until like daddy government says, okay guys, like go ahead, it's all cool. And that's when they'll say, all right, you know, at this point, I'm just gonna do a rounding error here and acquire some guy or, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and but, but I think the pressure is there. Like they are feeling the, not feeling the heat. Look at the funding rates on the, not the funding rates, look at the implied yields on the future contracts in the CME. And look at those implied yields from the beginning of this year until now. And what that tells you is that there are this, this carry trade, this you know long spot, short future, and the institutions are aping into this trade. Like 
aping into this trade. No one else would trade on the CME in the, that was crypto native. It, was, it, have, it would just be regulated institutions in the US. And they are aping into this trade. If, you're, if they are aping into a carry trade that is yielding them zero to single digits, what's the next part of that evolution? It's like, oh wait, you guys are lending against it and you guys are getting more yield? Can we bid that down? And so, there, and so I think that's part of the dynamic that you're gonna to start to see. Yeah, very interesting. And the the other thing as well, the game theoretical side of it is the central bank digital coin, right? That, you know, if I mean, now they're going to have to be crying out for it as quick as possible to be offering Bitcoin services to to the market if all of a sudden they're cut off from the spigot. If the spigot is going straight into people's pockets via, a, you know, a, a device, I mean, they're, they're pushing very hard for this in the uh, in the U European Central Bank right now. Uh, daily, almost, there's uh, there's new information coming out. We're going to push this as hard as we can. This, this is our strategy going forward. What are the banks thinking here? Like, what, what all of that freshly printed money you're just going to land in people's wallets? Uh, where do we come in here? So that so that there's two 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 streams of thought here. My 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 first the, the, the first stream of thought that I had around this was a CBDC disintermediates the banks entirely. It kills the banking system. It kills the incentives to have an account with Bank of America or anyone else. Why would you when you just have Fedcoin on your Fed app and you know zero risk, zero counterparty risk, right? That would disintermediate the banks for 100%. So I always saw that as an impediment to CBDCs becoming a reality. There's also another interesting misconception that, I, that I've had to have challenged in myself because I just didn't think that this could happen, which is that there is a world where banks no longer want deposits. Like banks are actually tapped out. Like they do not want more deposits. Like they don't know what to do with the money they already have. Like interest rates in Germany are negative. You're seeing this happening in your neighborhood. And you're looking at the reverse repo facility and the Fed hitting $800 billion, like getting close to the trillion. And that's the facility that's soaking up all that pressure from rates to a negative. So at first I was like, banks are never going to let this happen because they're not going to want to get this intermediated. But this, but part of me is now starting to think like, is this something banks could want? Like, would, could they be uh, in fact in favor of becoming sort of wealth managers and having the sort of the, the, the average individual deal with like Fedcoin and essentially bank becomes more of a, of a wealth management shop to like wealthy individuals. And then your cash becomes your Fedcoin, right? And so the bank kind of evolves into this high net worth shop rather than like your everyday little thing. Because if you think about it, like the infrastructure that they need to have up, like the ATMs, the protection of those ATMs, the refilling of those ATMs, the accounting on those ATMs, the software, and, and just so that somebody can go and take cash somewhere. Like, I don't know, I'm not inside a bank, but if you, if I'm the person sitting at a bank and I'm saying, hey guys, like, how much is it costing us to maintain our ATM network? It's like, well, it's $4,700 million a year. So how much are we making in fees from these ATMs? And they'll be like, uh, it's like a 25 million bill. Bill might say, scrap it, right? Like, um, so there's a lot of things that are that are happening that are a bit wonky in the, in the internal operations of banks right now with all the printing that's happening that has shifted a lot of these incentives. And so the real answer for me is, I don't know how, how that's gonna play out. But what I know is that 
people that are in the space like us, we will adapt to whatever it is that we have to adapt. If we, if you know, if you have to now swap out a coin for the new regulated government coin, and and I don't know what that's going to do to the other stable coins that are already out. But whatever does happen, we will adapt, and we will like make sure to be able to incorporate you know whatever people are are choosing to operate with. Now, I'm not a huge believer that people are going to run into giving up their privacy with these coins. Uh, I, I do I I don't know who would uh but you know right now our job is not to, to tell the market what's right or what's wrong our job is to listen to what is our, what can help our clients what our clients are asking us for and then act on that so it's similar to what happened with usdc our clients came to us and they said we want to save in in a, in a stable coin can you give us a stable coin well we we looked around at all the stable coins we said the only one we feel or the one we want to work with right now and the one we get, can get comfortable with is usdc so come up, come USSC, welcome. Everybody loved it. They were very grateful, and the, the the product has been wildly successful. So we want to continue, kind of continue to do that. And that tells us that people are finding value. If if the, the second we start doing products and you know they don't work, like we we have to learn to adjust and adapt because we live and breathe by by our clients. Have you ever gone down the thought process of maybe in like three or four years, banks? Are going to be in a bidding war to buy companies like yourselves that are offering these services um I, I don't like getting too carried away with those uh i i just like i love lending against bitcoin and building financial services for bitcoin um will there be a buyer like i i there's no doubt in my mind uh that that, that people will be interested in this uh, and you know there's let's just say that there's like there's, people are interested uh already but like for us, we we just think we're so early too, right? And and we, you know, we're just we love what we do so much, <laughs> and we love our team and being around each other so much that I don't see a scenario where Lenin does not continue to grow uh, as an independent for quite a while. Yeah, that's that's very cool to hear because th this would be the easiest way for banks to you know get up to speed, right? When, when, once they realize. They're like, oh shit, we need to build a loan product for Bitcoiners. And uh, how do we do that? Well, that's going to take X amount of years. We've got to get this. We'll just go buy a company over there, like whoever it is. Uh, so watch this space, right? There's, it's definitely going to grow. There's going to be more competition coming. And yeah, Main Street's going to come as well at some stage, which is probably music to your investors' ears. Uh, that's why they invested in the first place. That's what VCs do. Um, but uh yeah, it's going to be that'll that'll be just the next layer, like V four, like you said. That that's um, the next layer of uh, financialization of Bitcoin. I I think so. I think so. And I think you know, ultimately, I think it's an one an inevitability, uh, but two, a huge positive uh, because it, it it means that that Bitcoiners can now get more funding for their businesses, get more cost of capital for the loans. Like, you know, it, it just helps everything. And also like the financialization, people, people try to think of the financialization of Bitcoin as a single isolated event that's only going to impact their own lives or their own country. Think about this for a second. If Bitcoin gets financialized and we can get Bitcoin back loans at low single digits to humanity, Think of what that's going to do to the people that have been spending tens, like dozens of percentage points of interest, like 30s and 
40% across our lives and been unable to progress. And I'm not saying all debt is good. If you misuse debt, it's going to hurt you, of course. But debt is a tool that if used properly can unlock a tremendous amount of progress. So I'm just, I'm, I'm very excited to be able to use the, the dollar, which I think is going to become an instrument to finance things across the world uh, for and use Bitcoin as that collateral and bring that rate down as much as they can so that you can start crowding out all those local sharks in all these local little, you know, less developed places because now those local sharks have to compete with Lenin. And guess what? Like, you know, bring it on. Like, we'll, 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 we want to bring those rates down and we can treat those guys a lot better than you can. Yeah. Damn, man. What do you think? All right. Last, last question. Then I'll ask you the orange pill question. Cause I, I always try and figure this out in my mind 10 years from now, you've, you've got your stack. You've, you've been diligently dollar cost averaging or pound cost averaging, whatever currency currency that you're using. And, uh, you, you know, maybe you've got a stack of, uh, one to five Bitcoin and we're at like ridiculously high price levels, anywhere between 500,000 to a million per coin. What does the lending market look like then for you? Like this is, this is truly exciting because where will the interest rates be? Would they ever go negative? <laughs> right? Like, I honestly, I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, you know, if, if, if say, you know, Bitcoin did what everyone thought it was going to do. Um, where I think things go is I don't think rates go negative. I think right now people think rates are going to go negative, but I think I, if people really truly start spending that money, there's no chance that, you know, dollar sticks around and rates aren't higher. Like, you know, rates have to go higher once velocity comes back on. The reason we're talking about this, and this is even part of the conversation, is because monetary velocity is slowed down to a halt. And you're now starting to see the effects of velocity picking back up. So I do think that rates move higher. Like, you know, inevitably rates will end up having to move higher. Um, I think we, I think Lenin is able to navigate that. I think in that world, you're using dollars to do loans in Colombia, Brazil, like, you know, in a sort of hyper fast forwarding world. Um, it, you know, the dollar has become more of a monetary instrument. Bitcoin has become the collateral for this system itself. Um, we are essentially as important as banks are now uh, in this in this industry or in this world. And, um, you know, I don't want to be naive and think governments are not going to want to have a say. We're going to have to find a way of coexist and, and making sure that things remain fair. Uh, but I think it's we start shaping the system at that point. So we we need to start thinking to ourselves, how do we want the world to look? and try to project that because with a lot of, hopefully with a lot of that success will come the ability for me. If that world comes, I hope that I will be able to say to someone in my company, which at that point it would be an incredibly big company and, and I'll be so proud of everyone there. I'll be, guys, keep this up while we keep making all of our Bitcoiners wealthier. I'm gonna go try to fix Venezuela for like a little bit and then I'll come back in a little bit. But I think I would consider getting there as a massive success for Bitcoin, hopefully having helped many people along the way. and. At some point, I, I don't think Bitcoin, and this is something that might be a bit um, uh, incendiary, but like, I don't think that Bitcoin fixes everything. Um, I think there's a lot of things that Bitcoin cannot fix. 
And I don't think that we should just discard those things that Bitcoin cannot fix uh, because a lot of those things are education shortcomings. And so I, I would love to eventually, and now if, when, if and when that comes, to just, just to shift and try to see what other problems we can fix. Like if we fix the money, we can fix a big part of the world, but maybe not the whole world. And so can we switch from the other part that still needs to be fixed? That's kind of where, where I think my head is at. Excellent. And where, where do you think the, like, when I said negative interest rates, I meant for like, uh, that you would have to pay back on your collateral. Uh, so where do you think the, the, if someone placed a Bitcoin uh, as collateral in 10 years time, oh, where would, where would those, where would those interest rates be, do you think? Um, so I don't know. I mean, it would be because it would still, I don't think it would be, you would still have to pay like a, a Satoshi of, of the collateral, <laughs> right? To like to, yeah. to wipe the whole thing clean. Uh, but it would be so negligible. Uh, right. You know, by then I, I hope, you know, you could have refinanced that to do something else or, or, or you know, and that's another thing. It's really hard to sit through a, a 10X or a 100X, right? Like you'll likely do something. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I you know I can only hope that, you know, in that process, we were just able to help a lot of people. Like I, I got messages from people in Canada too that say, um, you know, I was able to take out a B2X when, when Bitcoin was at, you know, 10K and like, I would have never been able to build my wealth if it wasn't for the service. So I want to thank you. And I'm like, I, I love, I love, I love seeing that. And I, I think I want to see way, way more of that. And hopefully zero of, I didn't have time to send more Bitcoin when the price, when the price dropped or like, I want people to learn how to use Bitcoin and how to like set themselves up to, so that these products are always beneficial and, and, and try to reduce as much as possible those types of instances where, you know, you, you stretch yourself too thin or you went hundred X on a perpetual. And it's like, you know, it's financial education, I think is, is almost more important uh, than anything else. Cause once people get it, you, you see their eyes light up, but many people just don't get it. Is your service global? It is for the most part. Yeah. So anyone yeah. from around the world can uh, log in and, uh, and create an account and, and get in touch with you guys. And Yeah, it is. So we do have some restrictions. So based on some, some products and, and some jurisdictions based on, again, regulation. Uh, so, but by and large, our savings accounts are, are fully global. Um, our, 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 our B2X product is not available in the United States. Uh, it's available in pretty much most other markets, but uh, there are some, some subtle regional uh, differences as far as, as what is open and what isn't. But for the most part, you know, it's, it's pretty global and it's in most, most US states. Awesome. All right, man. If you had one orange pill left to give to someone, who would you give it to and why? Um, that's a phenomenal question. Um, I might do, I, I think I would either do probably Biden or Yellen. Um, and, and the reason I would do that is because I think it's one thing when you have, look at how the world got inspired with the president of El Salvador understood Bitcoin and said they wanted to use it for the, for the people. That is massive. And that was arguably one of the smallest countries in the world. Like imagine what it would do to the world if like the head of state of, of the you know, world global superpower of the head of, of the treasury uh, of, a, of a big superpower was all of a sudden orange-pilled. Uh, I think that's kind of how I would use it. 
Yeah, excellent, mate. Love it. Well, Maurizio, where can people come and find you and uh, Leden and uh, get in touch if they would uh, like to learn more? So Leden is Leden.io. And uh, yeah, you can check us out at Leden.io. For me, uh, my email is Mauricio at Leden, M-A-U-R-I-C-I-O at Leden.io. And uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Cryptonomista, so at Cryptonomist with an A at the end. And um, that's it. Yeah, come find me. I'm on YouTube too. So I do a newsletter. I write a newsletter to our, uh, to our account holders every Monday morning, and it goes up on YouTube and on our blog. So if you want to check it out, it's called the Bitcoin Economic Calendar. Uh, and what it does is it goes through events that are happening that week, not events that already happened, events that are going to happen that week uh, that could potentially impact Bitcoin. And so that you kind of get a heads up on what's coming. All right, cool. I didn't know that was out there. What was, what was going on this week, for example? Uh, Powell's speaking today. He started speaking yesterday. The CPI print went out on Tuesday, five mm -hmm. over five percent market sold. We 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 mentioned that, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, but we track like inflation prints, uh, uh, jobs numbers because the Fed's now looking at jobs pretty closely, and uh, earnings cycles. So banks start reporting earnings this week. Uh, so it's just like future-looking things that people should just be aware of. Excellent. All right, mate. Well, thank you so much for everything you're doing in the space, building and uh, helping out the plebs and uh, institutions and whoever else, and for taking the time to come on the show, mate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on and for helping us, uh, helping more people like us learn about us. Uh, it's just, you know, all I can ask for. All right, brother. Have a great day. You too, man. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed that one with Maurizio. That was an incredible rip. I went down deep the rabbit hole of these lending companies that are popping up and the, the, the this is part of the financialization process of Bitcoin without a doubt this will be a service that is going to be here for the rest of Bitcoin's life so it's definitely something we should start learning about but as I said at the beginning of the show and as Maurizio made very clear during the show You've got to do your own research and find the product that is right for you. And if you've got any questions or doubts, then just don't do it for now. And I'm sure Maurizio would uh, not begrudge me saying that. Just hold on tight and wait and see what happens. Or if you do want to dip your toe in, reach out to Maurizio, reach out to El Sultan. These guys will help you out. Let in certainly seem legit. They're Bitcoin only. And they're there to try and help the plebs. They've got a track record and they're doing a great job. So these guys are definitely worth contacting, opening the discussion with, and they will help you with your decision on what's best or right for you in this particular moment of your journey. That said, please make sure as well you are taking control of your coins because that's the first step. Make sure you're taking your keys not your keys, not your coin. Get them onto a hardware wallet. You know one of the show sponsors is Bitbox. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten. Go check them out. Get your hardware wallet and stay safe.